0: Good to have you here. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, or Ephesians chapter 2, that's right, we finally got out of 1. Ephesians chapter 2, sorry about that. Hey, I also, while you're turning there, I want to mention that for this month of September, every Wednesday night, we're doing prayer and worship. Um, I think it's something that we really need. I mean, I was looking at Scripture this week in Second Chronicles chapter 20, where it says that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah... And Jerusalem was freaked out because the army was coming and they were no match for the army. And all the people in Jehoshaphat, the king, cry out to the Lord. And they say, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And the Lord says, it's not your battle, the battle's mine. He says, stand fast and see the salvation of the Lord. And so I just think because we're in such weird times right now, and it seems like everything... Our whole lives, whether it's personal, political, spiritual, whatever it is, we're all feeling some pressure. And so we want to take the next four Wednesdays at 630 and we're just going to seek the Lord and just say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you and watch him work. Amen. Amen. So Ephesians chapter two, are you there? Okay. Okay. we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 today great stuff I hope you'll be blessed it says verse 1 of chapter 2 that the Lord has quickened us he's made us alive who were dead in trespasses and sins wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversations, our lifestyles in times past, in lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, I love that, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, hath made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Isn't that beautiful? Hallelujah. Father, we thank You um, just for this portion of Scripture that reminds us of everything that You've done for us, Lord God. You've brought us from darkness to light. And Lord, I pray that You would just open our ears to hear what, so we could hear what the Spirit is saying to us today to encourage us in our position in you bless this time speak to your people in jesus name i pray amen well you know the, the great thing about this portion of scripture is that he shows us that he's brought us from darkness to light hallelujah hallelujah i mean that is awesome it was funny in chapter one we saw our past our present our future the way god saw us and in this chapter where we're, he's showing us How we can see ourselves in Christ Jesus and that God has brought us from darkness to light remember remember before you got saved you lived for the world and you know and some people say oh well I was a good person well that's great but you still missed the mark see uh, sin means missing the mark and all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God and so even though you like you, you have unbelievers that are good people they're nice they're sweet. But if they reject Jesus Christ, that's the unpardonable sin. You've separated yourself from God for eternity. You have have unbelievers that are just radical and evil. They've missed the mark big time. Some unbelievers have gotten close to the mark. But the, the point is, if you didn't hit the mark, you missed the mark. And all of us missed the mark. And Jesus did the unthinkable. We were walking in darkness. Every one of us. He said we're, we're, we were the children of wrath, the children of disobedience, blown around by the course of this world. Remember that? Remember when the world said, hey, do this, and you said, okay, how many times? You remember when just, you know, we, we battle these things in our heads when we were unbelievers, and now we battle even more as believers. Because Why? Because we've got the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and the Holy Spirit is saying, don't do that. But before we got saved, the world said, go here. We went there. The world said, go there. We went there. The world said, do this. We did that. The world said, come try this. We tried it. Watch this. Okay. And then we gave our life to Jesus Christ. And everything changed. And God brought us out of darkness into the light. Do we still mess up? Yeah. But we ain't what we used to be. And God is changing us from glory to glory. And that is an awesome thing. He sees us in the past, in the present, in the future, in this portion of Scripture. We we can see ourselves that way, past, present, and future. Our past, verses 1 through 3, that we were all in darkness, every one of us. There is none righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why we needed Jesus. So verses 1 through 3, we were all in darkness. Our present uh, position, 4 through 6, we've come to the light. We've been made alive in Christ Jesus. And then verses 7 through 10, our future. Our future. God sees us seated in the heavenlies. He already sees us there. Why? Because he's outside of time. You know, and sometimes we freak out down here and he's like, why are you freaking out? I already see you seated in the heavenly. Guess what? I'm going to complete the work I started in you. Hello, but we need a reminder once in a while, don't we? It's the work that God did in us. It's not the work that we did. We couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't do this. This was an impossible thing. We needed God's help. Did you know that none seeketh the Lord? No, not one that he sought us. He chose us. He picked us. The Bible says the Father was drawing us, the Spirit was calling us. He went after us, and by the drawing and the calling, we responded to His great love and grace, and we said, listen, I I, want to know more about this Lord. I want to know more about this Creator, And, and He's a rewarder to those that diligently seek Him, but He initiated it. He did the work. We couldn't do it for ourselves. In Jeremiah 13, verse 23, it says this, Can an Ethiopian change his skin? Or a leopard, his spots, then may you also do good. Then then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. So he's saying, if an Ethiopian can't change the color of his skin and a leopard can't take his spot off, he says, Are you able to do good which are accustomed to doing evil? And the answer was no. He did it. You came to him, he placed his Holy Spirit in you. He's your tutor. He's your he's your teacher. He's speaking to you. And he's the one that that's giving you the strength to go on for him. He's changing you from glory to glory. It's his work. Only God can change us. Only God can save us. It's a gift. You cannot earn it. You can earn wages. Sin does pay out and the wages of sin is death. You can earn wages. But a gift is something that someone gives you. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's by his grace. And the gift that God gave us was eternal life through Christ Jesus. God doesn't owe me salvation, and I can't earn salvation. It's His gift, and that's what we're going to discover here today. It's not by works lest anyone boast. It's a work that He did in us. It's by His grace that we're saved. And I hope that you grab onto that today. In verse 1 where He says, You have been quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sin. The idea is quickened is that you were, you were made alive Why because we were dead we were dead in our trespasses and sins so what he's saying is that we were alive physically but we weren't alive spiritually every one of us was dead spiritually alive physically but more dead actually than a physically dead person so we were alive physically but when it comes to being dead we were more dead spiritually than actually a person that's alive physically because why Physical death is nothing eternal death is everything and it's bad and God doesn't want you there You must be born again. God is holy and We're not God loves us, but we didn't love him God sought us no one seeketh after God. No, not one. He went after us. God chose us We didn't choose him. We responded to his grace. We responded to his love. We responded to his mercy we responded to him And he gave us life and life more abundant. He called us to move from death to life. He called us out of darkness into his light. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. The second part of verse one, we see that we were dead in trespasses and sins. What does that mean? What's the difference between trespasses and sins? Well, trespasses are transgression. Transgression is when you do premeditated sin. When you're planning on sinning, right? You're thinking to yourself, hey, man, I called up the boys. We're hooking up tonight. Boy, we're going to tie one on. Yeah, we're planning this. You, you call up some girl, and you, you call up Barbie, and you're saying, man, hey, I'm coming over tonight. We're going to hook up. And you're planning it. You know, and girls can be the same. They can you see a guy, some guy down at the beach, some saltwater tars in, and they're like, man, I'm hooking up with that guy. I got plans. Right? So it's premeditated sin. Regular sin is like you didn't plan it. It just kind of happened Someone said something to you. You didn't like it. You lost your temper. You went off. You dropped some dirty words You screamed at them. You got angry. You didn't plan it It just kind of happened and you guys know how that is. I mean we're, we're in a place where we don't plan sin, but it happens one of the biggest sins that I struggle with is when I'm having a crummy day and it just seems like everything's piling on me, and I'm not happy, and I'm a little upset. And then I walk into Foodland. someone says, hi, pastor, how you doing? I go, great, how are you? I just sinned. I know you say, well, maybe that, that's kind of being hard on yourself, but it, it, did I tell the truth? That's how quick it can happen. So if I'm having a crummy day, what I'm trying to train myself to say and this is not for you to start asking questions, but it's like if I'm having a crummy day and, and you see me at food and you go, hey, pastor, how are you doing? I go, "Well, I'm hanging in there. How you doing? That's more accurate. That's just being honest. So transgression is premeditated sin. You're planning on going out and sinning. And then sin is just something that you didn't plan on. And I think that's where most of us are as Christians. We didn't plan on it. We lost our temper. We didn't plan on it. Something happened. We, did, we didn't plan on it, but we react, reacted a wrong way. Now, there's also the sin of omission. What's that? Check this out. Because this is for all of us, including me. Not doing what we know we're supposed to do. Like when God... Speaks to my heart and he says, I want you to do this. And I'm like, nope. Can you go speak to that person? "Uh Uh-uh. I would like you to go here. I don't want to go there. I want you to do this. Nah, that's not comfortable. You ever had those talks with God to fill them in on what's really going on? There's a sin of omission when we don't do what we should. But see, now we have new life. We've gone from darkness to light. And death for the Christian is a blessing we don't fear death death to the Christian is a blessing but to an unbeliever it's a fearful thing I don't know if you've ever been on the deathbed of somebody that didn't know Jesus Christ but they go kicking and screaming because they're so freaked out because they don't know what lies ahead but you and I do know and it's torment that never ceases Day and night, never stops. There's never any rest for someone who has rejected Jesus Christ when they're in hell and then ultimately in the lake of fire. We get a glimpse of that in Revelation chapter 9. In Revelation chapter 9, we see uh, the trumpet's judgments and we see uh, God allows these, these locusts from hell to come out of the bottomless pit to go after those that have taken the mark of the beast. And uh, these these locusts, they're like they're crazy looking. They're like, you know, look like kind of like horses with men's faces, teeth like lion, long hair like a woman. And they have these tails that sting. And and it's so horrific, the, the pain that these unbelievers who have rejected Jesus Christ, they can't die and they want to die. But they, they, they can't die for five months and they want to die. And it makes it so clear. It's almost like, you know, these guys are going to even try to take their own life and they can't die. The pain will not cease. So it's like they get stung they they're, it's so horrible. Just kill me. You know, if you jump off a building, you're just going to be a little pile of rubble on the sidewalk you, and you can't die. You just lay there for five months. If you try to shoot yourself and take your life, you will have all your whatever hanging out dead and, and but you won't be dead. And and you'll suffer for five months. It's a little glimpse of hell because that's what hell's going to be like and worse. And so, you know, it's like it scares me when people are so against Jesus Christ and actually have a hatred and you're warning them of where they're going to go. There's only two choices. They're not buying it. But the Bible tells us that the, the prince of this world has blinded their eyes to the truth. You must be born again. There's an old saying, if you're born once, you're going to die twice. Being born again means born twice. If you're born once and you reject Jesus Christ, you'll die physically and then you'll die spiritually. If you're born twice, born physically and of the spirit, you only die once physically and then you have eternal life. But I'm kind of shooting for the rapture where I'm born twice and I don't die at all. I don't know about you that sounds like a good call in verse 2 he says where in time past we walked according to the course of this world according to the prince and the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in children of disobedience so before we knew God we were children of disobedience we were children of wrath who was driving us it says the prince of this world who's the prince of this world Satan when Adam and Eve fell in the garden they handed the title deed of the earth to Satan. He's the prince of this world. Jesus came back. He paid for our sins on the cross. He bought back this world, and he's going to come claim it one day to get that title deed back. I like it. But before we got born again, it says that in time past, we walked according to the course of this world. The Greek word for course is blowing. It's like the wind blowing, right? So the world was blowing this way, and everybody was doing it, and, and we said, okay, well, we'll go over here. And then all of a sudden, everybody's doing this over here, and the wind blows us. We go over here, right? And you know it if you got kids, right? Your kids say, hey, well, I want to go over here. And you're like, no, you ain't going there. Well, everybody's doing it. They all get to go. And then as parents, you say what you said you would never say. You said, well, if everybody was walking off a cliff, would you walk off a cliff? Right? Isn't it funny when you start saying stuff like your dad or your mom, and you swore you would never say that to your kids? But the world used to blow us here. The world say, go over here. We go over there. The world say, go over here. We go over there. The world say, do this. We did it. And they say, we'll do that. And we do that. But we're not driven by the world anymore. And we're not driven by the prince of this world. We're driven by the Holy Spirit and the power of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our savior that guides us. Amen. But here we see in verse two that Satan's doing the blowing. The prince of this world is Satan. And he actually energizes the children of disobedience. And the scriptures are really clear that he has blinded them to the things of God. That if you're an unbeliever and, and someone shares the gospel with you, the enemy is doing everything he can to close your eyes and ears and heart and mind to receiving the truth. 2 Corinthians 4.3 says this, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, little g., the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of glory of Christ, who is the, in the image of God, shall shine on them. 1 John 12, 31 says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Satan will be cast out one day. John 16, 11 says, Of judgment, because the ruler of this world will be judged. God will judge Satan one day. He'll be cast into the pit. For a thousand years and then cast into the lake of fire. But the thing you need to understand why it's so hard sometimes to, to give the gospel, why it was so hard for you to come to the Lord. Maybe some of you didn't get saved till you were older. Is because why? Because the prince of this world, Satan, energizes the children of disobedience. Listen, he's not omniscient. He's not like Jesus. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at the same time, but he's got a ton of little cronies that work for him and are always gnawing at you, trying to get you to do things. You need to understand that Satan was the worship leader in heaven, and it was because of pride. Pride is the origin of sin. He wanted to be like God, and he was casted out. Pride is the origin of sin. Satan led worship, and, and, you know, and music is so powerful. You hear that old saying, they sold their soul for rock and roll. That's a true statement. Or they sold their soul to be famous or to have power. Because the the enemy can give power. Uh, Hello? He will promise you everything to destroy you in the end. And there are people that have been given uh, just music power, acting power, To get the money they want to get the power they want to have as many girls as they want or as many guys as they want to to have everything they think this life has to offer only to have it all snatched away at the end as they end up separated from the true and living God is it music powerful I mean, when we worship, we start, we start rejoicing, we can cry, we start shouting, you know, and, and I tell you, I go down to the pine trees or somewhere and I hear this music and it's, you know, bust a cap, shoot this guy, hold that, you know, I mean, you're just like, I feel like shooting somebody. It, it energizes us. I hear certain music and I go, man, that is great surf music. You know, you could just picture that music and some guy flying down the line and doing, you know, music is powerful. And the prince of this world is energizing the, the children of disobedience, and you were once them. But now God has brought you out of the darkness into the light. Hallelujah. But if you don't come to Jesus Christ, that, that, that prince of this world, Satan, will destroy your life. He will give you what you want, the things that you think are best for you, and then he'll turn on you and destroy you. The difference between him and Jesus is Jesus, on the other hand, tells us that we're going to have much tribulation here, but he saves the best for last. In verse 3, he says, Among whom also all had a lifestyle conversation in times past, in lust of our flesh, fulfilling desires of our flesh, of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as others. And so our past, right? We had a past. We used to live for the flesh. We we were children of disobedience. We were called children of wrath. Now you may not have thought you were all that bad and maybe you weren't, but you still missed the mark. We were still fulfilling the lust of our flesh. It was still all about me. We were going after the things that we wanted. We didn't have the mind of Christ. And Satan plotted against you to keep you from coming to the Lord by trying to blind you. By putting a veil over you that you wouldn't hear the truth, you wouldn't see the truth. But Thank God he lifted the veil. And even as believers, the more, church look at me, the more you step out in faith and serve the Lord, the more Satan plots against you. the more you go forward for Jesus. If, if you wonder why you're getting attacked all the time, it's probably because you're serving God. Amen. And if you're a Christian and you're not getting attacked, you better check your pulse. Because the enemy will come after you. He's the accuser of the brethren. Don't you, don't you realize that? That he get, tries to get you to do something, and as soon as you take the bait, he goes up to the throne of God, and he starts, he starts ratting you out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you see your boy down there, Steve? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, look what he's doing right there. I can't believe it. <laughs> I know people like that. As soon as you screw up, Satan goes and he accuses you before the Lord. But you know what the Lord says? He's one of mine. I'm going to finish the good work I started in him. He's not perfect, but um, I'm changing him from glory to glory. So, verse 1 through 3. Describes what we used to be. We were in darkness. We were disobedient. We were blown everywhere the world told us to go. We went the way of the world. We went the way of the prince of this world. Look at verse 4. But God. Isn't that awesome? You were in darkness. You were children of disobedience. You are being blown here and there. But God. That's the good news. But God. But God who is rich in mercy for his goodness. Great love wherewith he loved us, even when you were dead in your sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. He did it. you got to love that. He did it all. But God, he brought us out of darkness to light. Let me read something to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And look at verse 11, it's beautiful. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Oh, isn't that the good news? So, I mean, that, that, that whole section of Scripture right there is like the bad news and the great news. It's like, okay, it lists everything that we, you and me used to do. And I'll tell you what, there was probably a lot of that stuff there that we just read we used to do. But he says, by coming to Jesus Christ, he's wiped that slate clean. He no longer sees you as those things that we just read off. And you are now a child of God. And so he lists all those things, and then I love what he says there. He says, and such were some of you, implying you're no longer that way. You've been washed, you've been sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Verse 4, when it says that God is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, And then he goes on to say, even when we were dead and our sins quickened together with Christ, by grace you are saved, and he hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Great stuff, right there. He reminds us that we were saved by grace, he reminds us that we have a God who is rich in mercy. Thank the Lord. He has an abundance of mercy, he has an abundance of grace. He did it all on the cross. We are seated in the heavenlies. He sees us already there. That's the good news. I love those scriptures that say he will never leave us nor forsake us. I love the scriptures that says that he's going to finish the good work that he started in us. I love it that he already sees us there. He says, just hang on. You're going to make it. Don't you need to hear that once in a while? During the week? And then he he says he sees us already in heaven. That's great news. I love that. He sees the finished work of you and me. You know, I don't know about you, but I can't wait for heaven. And the older you get, you understand what I'm saying. I'm ready for the new body. You know what's funny is that I can't tell you how many times over the years I've had people come up to me and say, "Um, is heaven going to be boring? And I'm like, really? I go, you could take your best day ever here on earth, and that would be the lousiest day in heaven right you know why because God in verse 7 says that in the ages to come he might show his exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus what does that mean that statement right there means that God when we get to heaven is going to be revealing his exceedingly great riches and his grace to us throughout eternity let me break it down even more. He's going to be blowing your mind throughout eternity. The Bible talks about all things become new. Heaven is not, you know, naked little babies with wings playing harps on clouds. It's, it's awesome. It's amazing. It's no more pain. It's no more suffering. All things become new. No more tears. He's going to be showing us his grace throughout eternity. We're going to be there a million years, and he's going to go check this out. You're going to go, oh. I can't believe it. He goes, you can't believe that? Try this. And you're like, oh, stop. Just stop. I can't take anymore. It's going to be amazing. It's never going to get old. He has an abundance of his his grace, of his kindness. And you and I are going to experience that throughout eternity. But look at verse 8. He says this, just to remind you, for by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay, so hello, Mr. Legalist. Who's trying to add to faith by you got to keep the law, you got to keep the rules of our church, you got to jump through these hoops, you got to do this. It's saved by faith and water baptism. The Bible is very clear. It's saved by faith and nothing. You can't bring anything to the table. Why does he say that? Because he says if you brought something to the table, then heaven wouldn't be heaven. It'd be just boast fest. And it'd be annoying. Listening to everybody tell you, oh, well, this is how I did it. This is how I got in. You'd be like, ah, this isn't heaven. God is making it very clear to you and to me and to everyone that it's, it's by what he did. We're saved by faith, not by our works. Because if it was by our works, we would boast. And he gives us examples all throughout the Bible of people that, you know, he, he gives them an opportunity to serve him. But then they want to take the The credit. The Bible says in Isaiah, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not share my glory with another. God's not going to share his glory with another. If God uses you, you better make sure when someone says, oh, thank you so much. You go, oh, praise the Lord. You make sure you point him here and not here. Not to you. Because you didn't do it. Because in me is no good thing apart from Jesus Christ. If anything good came out of my mouth, if I did anything good in my actions, that was Jesus. That wasn't me. If I did something stupid, that was me. If weird things came out of my mouth, that was me. That wasn't the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to blame it on the Holy Spirit. But see, God wants to get the glory. He doesn't want us to boast. And there's, there's areas through the Bible that we see where he used men in such a way to remove all doubt to everybody around that it was God that did the work and it wasn't that individual. You remember the story of Gideon in Judges. Gideon was this poor guy in Israel. The Israelites were under attack by the Midianites. Every year the Midianites would come in and they would would take their crop at harvest time and their animals and they would leave just enough so they could get started again and let it all grow up and then come back the next year and take it all again. And and so everybody was like hiding out, threshing wheat, and the Lord comes to Gideon and he says, Gideon, I'm going to use you, you mighty man. He's like, I'm going to use you to deliver Israel from the Midianites and he, and Gideon's like Who are you talking to you got the wrong address I, I'm My tribe is the least of the tribes My family is the least of the families in that tribe, and I'm the least of my family and God's like perfect And maybe that was you and God said, perfect, now you won't get in the way. So Gideon like puts out a couple of fleeces, you know all about that, just to get some confirmation because he can't believe God's going to use him to do this very thing. And so there's 135,000 Midianites that are going to come and take everything. And so God says, Gideon, go out, and call out people to fight for the battle. And so it, uh, Gideon goes out, he makes the call, 32,000 Israelis show up. They're outnumbered four to one. 32,000 against 135,000 Midianites, right? And so God goes, Gideon, he goes, yes, you have too many guys. Gideon's like, too many guys? Are you kidding me? We're outnumbered four to one. What do you mean too many guys? He goes, no, you know, go tell the guys. Everybody that's fearful and afraid, send them home. So Gideon goes up and he says, listen, anybody here that's scared and fearful, go on home. 22,000 go home. They're left with 10,000 guys. And God says, Gideon, he says, yeah. And he goes, you got too many guys. Too many guys? We're outnumbered 14 to one. What do you mean too many guys? He goes, you got too many guys. Here's the problem. If you go out into battle and you win, you're going to start boasting it was you and not me. And you're going to miss my gift and think it was your work and your doing. And I'm not going to allow it. I'm going to eliminate that you got too many guys. He says, well, what do you want me to do? He says, take them down to the water. And everybody that goes to drink down at the water, who puts their face in, send them home. But the ones that pick it up and watch the horizon and lap it like a dog, those guys are going to go with you. So he takes 10,000 guys down to the water, 9,700 drop their face in the water, and he sends them home. He's left with 300. They're now outnumbered 450 to 1. God says, perfect. He said this is my battle is that for somebody tonight today today tonight 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 somewhere the battle is his it's not yours i don't know what to do lord but my eyes are upon you gideon and the men the 300 they trusted god they trusted him and they went up on a ridge and the midianites were down in a valley and they watched god's hand work as they blew their trumpets And the Midianites came out and so freaked out and disoriented, they they tore each other up and died. And God got the victory. Verse 10, our last verse today, says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's a packed verse right there. Crazy. We are His workmanship. You know what that means, guys? In the Greek, it's the poema. That's where we get our word for poetry. That, that, that we are His work of art. You are His work of art. You are His masterpiece to be seen by the world. God is doing stuff in your life that you would shine bright for His glory, that when men would see your good works, they would glorify the God in heaven. No boasting, He gets the glory. Just like Gideon in the 300, God got the glory. He did it. And He's doing stuff in your life, and you are His work of art. The Bible says that He is the potter and we are the clay. Do you believe that? The same elements that make up dirt are the same elements that make up our body. He's the potter. He's the master potter. You're the piece of clay. And sometimes you just feel like a lump of clay. Right? Your whole world's a mess. you got lumps and bumps all over you. And and then what does the potter do? He takes that clay. He throws it on the wheel. He hits the pedal and it starts spinning. And that's your life. And then it couldn't get worse, right? We turned on the news and the pressure came. And the potter starts squeezing the clay and he starts squeezing it and you're like, oh man, I can't, I'm spinning out of control and the pressure's coming from all sides. And then all of a sudden the potter makes us into a beautiful vessel and, and the wheel stops and you go, oh, I see what you were doing. And then what does the potter do? He cuts the, the pot off the wheel and he throws it in the fire. The Lord promised us that we would have fiery trials. But are those fiery trials for, your, for your, the worse or for your good? Because when you put in the fire, when that pot comes out of the fire, it is now stronger. When God allows you to go through fiery trials, he says, listen, I'm going to go through the trial with you. I'm not going to leave you, but you're going to come out stronger. And boy, I'll tell you what, we, we go through it kicking and screaming, don't we? You get in the fire, you're screaming, get me out of the fire. But when it's all done, you go, oh. I see what you were doing, right? And just so, you know, just so you don't forget that we have constant trials all through this life. So when the potter takes the pot out of the kiln and now it's stronger, then he does what? He puts a glaze on it and he puts it back in the fire. God put a glaze on you. He puts you back in the fire. You're like, "Ah! I can't take this." And then he takes you out and you're brilliant and you're sparkling and you're glistening and you're a reflection of him. He's the master potter and we're the clay. Let me just add this to it before we close. When Gideon and his 300 were up on the ridge, it was nighttime. And they were looking down at 135,000 Midianites. And you know what they had? They had a trumpet in one hand and they had an, clay pot an earthen vessel in the other hand with a torch inside but you couldn't see the torch because it was in the clay pot and they stood up on that ridge and when Gideon gave the command they all blew their trumpets they broke the earthen vessel the torch shone bright and they yelled the sword of the Lord and of Gideon now what's interesting with that is that When the Midianites heard 300 trumpets blow and came out of their tents and saw 300 torches, that to them represented 300 battalions of literally hundreds of thousands of soldiers. They freaked out, thought they were already invaded in their camp. They wiped each other out. But the point I'm trying to make, check this out. Unless that vessel is broken, the light can't shine through. If we're not really willing to surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ and allow Him to work and let Him guide us, His light can't shine through. But if we submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, he will flee. And as we submit ourselves to God and allow God to put us into trial after trial for our own benefit, and we are truly a broken vessel before Him, then His light's going to shine through in a mighty way because it's not about you anymore, it's about Him. The second part of verse 10 says that that we were created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which could have before ordained that we should walk in them. So the other thing that we need to understand is that you and I were created for good works. Not just singing, not just praying, not just reading our bibles but we were created to serve we are his work of art for the world to see and may we yield ourselves to him the master potter he molds and shapes us into what he wants us to be that he might use you and me for his glory let's pray father thank you just for the reminder we need to be reminded lord god So many times we read something, we go, that's so great, I'll never forget that. And then we forget. And so, Lord, thank you for bringing into remembrance these things of who we are in you and what you've done in our lives, Lord. We pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit right now to be strengthened. We've got a whole week ahead of us. And, Lord, um, we just pray that um, Wednesday nights of prayer and worship would be a great breakthrough in our lives and in our church and in our community. And so, Lord, we lay all these things at your feet and we ask for you to take over. You're the master. We're your servants. In Jesus' name, amen.